This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. You're listening to Radio Hawke's Bay on 104.7 FM, 1431 AM, streaming on the web, www.radiohawksbay.org.nz. This is a program called Instant Zone, peak performance every day, and it's my pleasure, as always, to have in the studio, in the hot seat, Edmund Otis. How are you going? I'm good, Ken. How are you? I'm pretty good. Now, we're here today to talk everything peak performance, as we always do, and we're going to talk today about what to do when things go wrong, how to pull yourself out of a hole. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a major thing. Whether we're, you know, thinking in short term or long term, and thinking about it coming over here, you know, I always think in terms of those theories, which may or may not apply. Yes, but there there's a theory about motivation, and it basically says that people are either motivated by acquisition, they want stuff, or they're motivated by avoidance, they don't want stuff. Yeah, we think of it in terms of pleasure and pain. Right, You can motivate somebody to do something by poking them with something, or you can motivate them by offering them something they would like. Yeah. Right? You know, your, your child comes home, they get a bad grade, you know, no phone, no internet, no TV for a month. Or your child comes home, they have a test coming up, you know, if you get a good grade, you know, we'll go do something special. So it depends. It, yeah. it varies. Does motivation always have to be rewarded? I mean, you know, does motivation, it should come naturally, shouldn't it? But, but by definition, when you're motivated by something, you're looking for a reward. It doesn't have to be a big reward. Yeah. But the thing that motivates you is you want to do something that will make you feel good, whatever that is. I mean, it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be candy. It doesn't yeah. have to be a new car. But without wanting something out of it, there is no motivation. No, that's right. Exactly. Right? So that's, you know, that's why you do whatever you do. That's why you get up, get up in the morning. Yeah. Right. You're motivated to either go to the bathroom or get some water or eat something. Okay. Yeah. Come to so, work. but when we look at, you know, I, I kind of bring back to athletes, but it applies to everybody. When we look at why people make decisions when they don't like what's happening, we see one of two things. We either see people who say, I'm out of here. I hate this. Mm-hmm. Or we see people who say, I want something else. What would be better? What I encourage people to do is the natural response is to just run away. Yeah. That doesn't usually end up pretty well because you often end up in the same position you were before, right? You're in a job and you really figure out, you know, this isn't the job I wanted. This isn't the business I started. I'm going to quit. Chances are you'll end up in the same situation. Yeah. The big thing we look at, and you see this with teams and sports and doctors and lawyers and everybody, farmers, whatever, is asking the question, where do I want to go from here? Yeah. Is that a generational thing? You know, you mentioned that, uh, yeah, I don't like this, I want to quit. Um, is that something that's more prevalent today with people growing up? Uh, you know, oh, yeah, no, it's too hard. Whereas if I wind the clock back, you just got on with stuff. It wasn't quite so easy to, to back away from what you had to do. Yeah. Is, is th- that the case? I think there's a little of that. I think uh, we all have shorter attention spans because we have so many more kinds of stimulus going on. Yeah. So you, you see a lot of that. It's easier for people to pull back. Uh, one of the things we're looking at, and you look at some research, I always read that boring research, that in academics and other things, one of the main things we seem to have learned as a culture worldwide from the whole COVID thing is when things really get bad, and think you're worried and you're worried about each other and you're scared and you're overwhelmed and you're stressed, you stay home and you don't do anything. 
Yeah. That seems to have stuck with us, even though it's only been two or three years we're experiencing this. That's one of the reasons we're seeing all this. But even, even so, right? The question, even if you're like that, if you don't like what's going on, people who ask themselves the question, what would I rather do? And how do I get there? Do better than I just don't like this. Yeah. I suppose there's quite a few people out there who went, phew, don't have to do anything. Because yes. everyone's telling me to stay home. And I love it. And that's what I'm going to do. Oh, It's an excuse. Well, I don't know if it's an excuse. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if it's an excuse. I think it's human nature. I think we were surprised, though. I mean, if you remember back when the whole first thing started, people were talking about how stressed and angry and upset and how difficult it was going to be to stay home. And it was for some people. Yeah, it was for me. But it turned out <laughs> more people had a harder time going back to work. Yeah. That's why a lot of people are still staying home. Now, again, I don't know if that's good or bad, mm. that's, that's, but I, I'm interested in the motivation. We all assumed that the real challenge was going to be to stop doing stuff and stay home. Most people were actually weirdly okay with that. Where the challenge was, oh, God, I got I to get dressed every day. I got to do this. I got to put myself on a schedule. Going back. At the same time, one of the things they noticed that a lot, a lot of people, I, I don't know if it was guilt or worry or whatever, who work from home actually mm. accomplish more than they accomplish really? at work. Yeah. Um, you know, if so if you work computer-based or business-based and you're able to work at home, in the first, the first lockdown, more people accomplished more work at home. And, you know, there's all kinds of theories. They were worried people were ta- thinking they were taking it easy. They felt guilty. They didn't have anything else to do. Then they accomplish when they're normally at home. I mean, when they're normally at work. That was really interesting. The second lockdown, people seem to adjust that and seem to put themselves on a schedule. It seemed, so it kind of seemed to balance out. Yeah. I suppose that was a good thing that you said about people getting more stuff done at home. But on, from the other, from the bad side, of it, from my point of view, it makes you more antisocial, doesn't it? Yeah, sort of well, people are becoming more, more introverts and staying home and think, don't want to see anyone. And that's stuck with a lot of people. No, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're seeing an awful lot of that. You know, um, everybody, I mean, except for you, who's perpetually <laughs> charming and social, everybody has a reasonable amount of social anxiety, some more so than less. I mean, some people like being around people, but for most people in some way or another, meeting new people, doing stuff, you know, take some concentration. So a lot of people don't like it. What we seem to be seeing, especially seeing this in kids now, is it's harder and harder to socialize. Yeah. Harder and harder to negotiate. Harder and harder to interact. Um, but again, people seem to be accommodating to that. Are kids more likely to snap out of that? Harder to socialize than what adults might be? Or if you get into that trough um, as a kid, it's harder for them? God, it depends. The thing we're seeing now, and you know, this goes back to <laughs> back to my mantra, is the whole internet device stuff. Yes, has is teaching more and more people to stay more and more isolated from each other. You know, when you're on your phone texting and doing all that with people, you're really not interacting with them. Uh, it's a way of isolating. So we're seeing more of that, and that's why, you know, one of the general commercials I make is the most healthy thing children can do now, whether they want to or not, is be involved in sport. Absolutely. Because there's no phones out on the field, or I do karate, or you're swimming, or you're playing netball, or you're just running, and you find out, and you'll see kids thrive and enjoy the socializing. Uh, But that's because they're doing it for a reason. So for anybody that's listening, you have kids, grandkids, neighbors, nephews, encourage them to be involved in some kind of sporting activity. 
going to say my usual thing that is easier said than done but I agree with you entirely because even with my own grandchildren they're always on their social media yeah. but when you say to them and you actually get them out there doing it they have a great time they have a great time they yeah. have a great time um, and they, they have a more satisfying time um, you know the phone thing is a, is a useful tool but it tends to isolate us isolate yeah. us you know I I only sometimes I'm over dramatic. I mean, the worst kind of punishment you could do to somebody is solitary confinement. Yeah. Well, there is a certain aspect that if everything you do or 80% of your actions involves staring at a little tiny phone screen all day, you're kind of isolating mm. yourself. Indeed. Today we're talking about when things go bad, and I did a bit of research before you got here. And uh, Of course you did. Because <laughs> I'm that sort of guy. <laughs> you are. That's what I was hoping for. That's right. And uh, some of the things that I've come up with is uh, things to remember that uh, everything is temporary, even the hole that you're in. Is that a good way to look at things? Because it's easy to say that, but at that moment in time, that is encompassing and it sucks you dry, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, I would I would think some of that. I mean, everything is temporary in the sense that, you know, eventually we stop breathing, so it's all temporary. But I, I think a, a more useful way to look at that is everything doesn't have to be permanent. Mm. You can leave most situations. Uh, if you wait for it to change, you see people ending up in the wrong jobs 10 years longer than they should have been. Yeah. You know, you see people, you know, ending up in the wrong relationships way longer. You see people doing stuff they don't like way longer. So we have the capacity to make it temporary. But I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, that's true if we decided this. Yeah. Also, I think that from your point of view, that's easy for you to say because you're in that business. And uh, from my point of view, as an older man, you know, I'm nearly 70 now. What? It's easy for me to say that now. Yes. Because I'm old and, I, you know, you just don't put up with the BS. Yeah. And you yeah. say, okay, I'm not, not interested in yeah. that. Sorry, I've got other stuff to do. That is a thing that comes with age or with, in particular, the type of work that you're in. You, you know all the whys and the wherefores because you've read the books and you've talked to people who have been in that situation. But for the average person, that isn't so easy, is it? Well, no, it's not easy at all. But we have to look for most people. They do make an adjustment whether they want to or not. So if you find yourself in it, you've made a decision to move somewhere, to start a new job. And after six months, you really recognize you hate the job. Okay. Um, and it just isn't right for you. The, the workplace may be fine. It just is not the fit you thought it was. And every day you hate it. You're going to make some adjustments. Now, either you can say to yourself, I need to find something else. Or you say to yourself, I'm stuck here. But then what changes is your response to life. Maybe yeah. you become more frustrated, you become cynical, you become depressed. But something is going to change to accommodate. Mm -hmm. The suggestion I make, and I know it's difficult, is what can we do consciously to get to where we want to be? Yeah. Right? Um, you know, I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're, your boat goes down and you're out in the ocean. You know, that's one thing. You just want to stay afloat and swim. But the people who survive actually look up and find a place to swim to. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, that that goal-oriented, you know, what what would I rather have? Yeah, that is a good point. And uh, just a bit of a segue on from what you just said there, that uh, when you're feeling down, when things are going bad, what you should try and do, and again, I think it's sort of impossible, think about the little things that are good. Sure. That's that's pretty hard to do when you're feeling pretty flat and stuck in a hole. Well, you know, it, it, it yes, it is. It, it absolutely is. But I'm a big believer that we can choose what to think about. Um, I, I believe you can, you know, if you give yourself a little routine and if you've listened to this, you know, if you're listening to yeah. us right now, it's not harmful to say, God, I really hate what I'm going to do today. But here's something that's good. Or here's the reason I'm doing it. 
I'm doing it. You know, I mean, there's this big difference in um, HR and in um, industry and in um, how we look at our jobs. Some people have jobs, which are fine. And you make a decision. What I'm doing is I'm exchanging minutes for dollars so that I can do the other things I want to do. And that's fabulous. Right. I mean, uh, when I teach students, you know, I'm at EIT or when I was at the University of California, how many of you have jobs? Almost all of them raise their hands. Everybody's working. How many of you see that as your career? Almost none of them raise their hand. So what you're doing is you're trading Mm. minutes. You know, lots of people do that. I mean, if your main focus is your family, I go to work so I can come out and hang out and and my kids and I can go uh, cycling and doing all that stuff. Then some people have careers which means what they do identifies who they are socially and it gives them a sense of satisfaction. Um, So you get to make changes. Uh, But remembering, you know, that here's what I'm doing this for. So I may hate the eight hours a day I spend at work or it's not perfect. However, it lets me pay rent, lets me put food on the table, lets me hang out with my kids or lets me go on vacation or lets me do whatever I want to do. Most of the stuff we talk about, it's all about me, 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 me. You know, this is what I should do. I well, should what be doing else this. Is there? Yeah, yeah, I know. But, but <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, the, the point that, that's made next is that uh, don't forget about the people who are in your corner. Of course, yes. And lots of people there could help you out. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talk about that. We've talked about that several times um, around resilience, you know, which is the ability to bounce back. And that's, in a sense, what we're talking about now. And it turns out that the people who are more resilient, who do better in difficult situations, who are able to change course, it turns out that they are more willing to engage and ask for help and ask for insight from others than people who are not. Um, It literally is. And I don't think of it as that you need help. What I think of it is because from sport, you need coaching. Yeah. Um, So that's absolutely right. But, you know, it doesn't matter how many people are in your corner if you're not aware that you have people in your corner. Yeah. So teenagers have that a lot, yes. right? Lots of teen- <laughs> and it's a natural thing that nobody understands me. Everybody hates me, but they have this giant family who loves them to death and will do anything for them. And they're just waiting for them to change, you know, get from 17 to 23. Yeah. And also if you're, if you're in a hole and you want to pull yourself out of it, sometimes it's not easy to talk about it though, is it? I mean, that's a, a very much a key thing perhaps that, or, you know, I've got to sort it out myself or it's a bloke thing that men yeah. in particular, uh, they don't like asking for help. How do you get your head around that? How do you how do you encourage someone to say mm, you need to talk to someone about this? You can't just you can't possibly sort it out by yourself normally. Um, it, it, again, it's a cognitive strategy. You know, you you listening to this show, thinking about it. You know, I'm not an expert in everything. You know, but you raise a good job, good point about males, right? I was just going to say, well, you know, if you have a pain, you don't know what it is, you go to the doctor. Well, actually, women do that more than men. Yeah. You know, one of the main reasons men get sicker and men die earlier is they don't seek the medical treatment mm. they can. So I don't know what to tell them except get over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but the example I do give, though, is, you know, if you look at, let's say, let's stereotype and say men really like sport or a lot of men like sport, right? Yep. The All Blacks, you know, best rugby team, toughier this year, but they're coming back. But in general, most successful mm-hmm. sporting franchise, you know. They have 15 to 18 coaches. All of the players play better rugby than the coaches do. But there's not one player on the field who is the epitome of Kiwi maleness. If their game isn't right, they, there's not one out there who would go to their coach and go, hey, look, I'm having a problem with my yeah. shoulder, or the, the kick isn't going right, or the tackle didn't go right, give me some help. Yeah. Okay, we have that example. But if you look at your life as an event, then 
reaching out for help is a natural thing to do. I wonder, uh, I must do some research because I might just be talking through a hole in my head at the moment, but uh, interesting what you said about the All Blacks having 15 or 18 coaches. I wonder if we wind the clock back to the very beginning when the All Blacks were the most dominant rugby team in the world, way back in the 30s and 40s even. I bet they didn't have 18 coaches then. They so could, what's they, changed? No, I don't even know if it's changed. They coach each other then. Hey, bud, get down. Pick your hands up. Yeah. Hey, uh, missed that pass. What was wrong? Okay, pick your hands up a little bit. So why so, do we need? Why do we now need though eighteen different coaches that aren't part of the team? You know, they're they're bought into well, because we have a higher level of play. We subspecial, and it isn't that there's eighteen coaches there all the time, right? Mm. But you have a head coach, you have assistant coach, yep. offense, defense, mm. scrum, kicking. You know, and there's different psychiatric. Yeah. You know, mental skills, nutritional. Yep. You have all that. Yeah. But the reason we need it is to get better, more optimal performance. Okay, because the players of today would kick butt of the players 40 years ago. Yeah, sure. Right? I mean, but it, it's, it's a natural thing. All I'm saying is those who really want high levels of performance, and you raise a good point about the, you know, the Kiwi blokes or, you know, lacrosse, you know. You look at, again, stereotypes. That's why you have military officers. Yes. To give you feedback, to tell you what to do. Yeah. I wonder, um, jumping ahead a bit, uh, we could have looked at things, uh, 13 things not to do, and there's a whole bunch, <laughs> whole bunch of things to do. Let's have a look at the first one on that. It says, accept, accept, accept. And I, I wonder, does it mean accept the situation that you're in or accept that you can do something about it? Well, hopefully it means the latter. <laughs> yes, I, mean, right. um, I mean, that is kind of the, the, the pivotal point of what we're talking about. You know? uh, but one of the things you can, you can accept is, you know, man, this ain't going right. Yep. No, I, man, we moved here. We did this. I hate it. I'm going to do something else. But that, become, that becomes a, a question, can you accept that? Yeah. You know, and again, but let me, let me go back to the point I wanted to make coming in here, but I, I like the list, is that the people who do a better job, when they find themselves in, their point, in that point, they don't say, I hate this, I'm out of here, and walk out the door. They say, where do I want to go? What would I rather have? Mm. And that's that thing, that acquisition or, you know, acquisition versus avoidance. Yeah. Okay, what do you need to do? What would you rather be doing? And then you have the opportunity to plan, right? But lots of people, they hate it and they just leave. Then they find themselves standing out in the street. Yeah. Broad stereotypes, men more than women, if we're doing that gender thing. Mm. In general, in general, again, broad stereotypes. Uh, when women think about leaving a relationship, they do some planning ahead, Right. They know where they're going to go. They know what they're going to do. Maybe they have another job lined up. Maybe they change how they look. They do all that stuff in general. Men, when they're out of a relationship, they find themselves sleeping on a garage floor somewhere for two weeks because mm. they haven't planned anything. <laughs> That's so true. I like, I like this next one because uh, in some respects, it's, it's where I go. It says, stick to the present. You know, Don't worry about what's gone on because you can't do much about what's happened. And uh, don't necessarily worry too much about what's going to happen. Just, you know, yeah. Live uh, day by day, really. Yeah. Live day by day and recognize that all change is more difficult than staying the same, than status quo. Yeah. So when you think about living in the present, you know, a lot of people have remorse, you know, and they'll spend an indefinite amount of time beating themselves up about a mistake they made that got them to here. Yeah. You know, and the people who do better, I'm not saying you should, but the people who do better go, yep, that was a mistake. What do I do now? Yeah. That seems to be the big question for me. Yeah. People are able to ask themselves, what do I do now? Do better. The people go, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah. And also be realistic. Have expectations that 
are realistic yes. about where you're going. Yes, absolutely. Moving forward. Yeah. This is going to be a challenge. Change is always a challenge. Yeah. Moving forward one step at a time again. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's, yeah. No, that's a big one. Yeah. Right? You know, it's that thing we talk about all the time. You know, it's that GPS thing. You know, you turn your phone on, or at least I talk about it all the time. You turn your phone on, you set the GPS, you want to go to Wellington. You know, we're in Hastings now. You want to go to Wellington. Okay, so it has the map of Wellington. Your GPS doesn't come on and go, I don't know, it's pretty far. All your GPS says is go to the corner and turn left. After you do that, it tells you something else. Change is just like that. You may have a destination, but the map shows you which way to go, and you can only do one step at a time. I agree with that entirely. That, that, that should be the prize one. Yeah. <laughs> Again, because it's a bleeding obvious. Yeah. Treating yourself with love and respect. I mean, uh, we live in a culture now which is so full of mindfulness that this is part of a thing that you've got to love yourself first before you can love anyone else. From your point of view, is that true? I mean, I, I wouldn't. I don't look in the mirror in the morning and say, good morning, Mr. Wonderful. How are you going? You know? <laughs> well, you should. You, should. <laughs> you know, it, it depends how, how you look at it. Um, my concern is instead of loving and respecting ourselves, we are tend to be more and more thinking about how fragile and delicate we are. That's not the same thing. No. You know, if you love somebody, you want what's best for them and you forgive them. You think about somebody you love. Uh, but the respect is important. See, and for me, when you respect somebody, the, <laughs> the only way you gauge whether you have respects for somebody is you have high expectations of them. Yeah. So if you're going to respect yourself, that means you have high expectations of yourself. But do people really love themselves? Some do. Is that, um, what's the word I will, I'm looking for? Well, is, is, is that? Realistic? Yeah, is that realistic? Well, do, do, you mean, love you, do you love yourself? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Really? But here's how, here's how I think about, if I think about how I love somebody else. Uh, let's say, you know, you know where your kids, I, I, love, I, love, yeah, I love my voice. Okay. For me, love means, okay, I accept them 100% the way they are. Good or bad, exactly. 100% the way they are. And I always want what's best for them. And I always want, you know, if I can, I want to help them. But I accept them 100% the way they are. Flaws or attributes. Okay? And then I tr- you try to help them as much as possible. So loving yourself, mm-hmm. you accept yourself 100% the way you are. And then you try to help yourself go to a different position, yeah. to a better position. So that doesn't seem unreasonable to me. It does not mean... You think you're the best person in the universe. You think everybody should bow down to you. It doesn't mean that. When you love somebody, it's absolute acceptance, yet realism. Yeah. You often hear people say, well, not often, sometimes, every once in a while. <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. that's right. Is that uh, I love you, but I don't like you. Have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, is that something that you would say to your kids? I, I love you, but I don't like you at the moment. I bet there's a fair number of parents who have certainly said that to the kids when they were teenagers. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I mean, you can see, yeah, I, I can Does see that. work that. though? Well, I don't know if it works. It's what you're feeling. You know, I, I love you with all my heart, but I don't like the way you're acting right now. Yeah. You know, I'd rather not spend time with you right now, but I love you with all my heart. Mm. Uh, teenagers do that all the time. I'm moving out. Yeah. Is that helpful, though, to someone to say, look, I love you? You know, if some, particularly if someone's in, uh, well, we know what teenagers are like. We've been there. We've, yeah. we've been teenagers, and we can be complete, uh, Just you know, what? Week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so if someone, if you're in a hole and you're acting like a, a big dick, and then, you know, your, your parents or someone that you care about says, yeah, I love you, but I don't like you at the moment. It doesn't help you get out of a hole, does it? 
I don't, I don't think so. But I mean, you know, depending on the conversation, I think where it goes wrong, that seems to be a punitive and you're trying to hurt somebody. Yep. But you just need to add one word to it and, and maybe it makes sense. I love you, but I don't like the way you're acting right now. Yeah. Just that, change the way. But that, that changes it entirely for me. Yes, it does. Okay, one is passive aggressive. And you can see, you know, if you're, if you just want to make people feel bad, well, you know, get over that. Yeah. But I, I think it's very realistic to say, you know, I love you with all my heart, but I don't like the way you're, you're yeah. talking to me. I don't like the way you're acting right now. Um, I'm concerned about what you're doing. I don't want you to do that. Just about out of time, just give us yep. uh, a couple of top tips on what we've been talking about this morning. Uh, you're in a hole. When things go bad, what's the best thing to do? Best thing to do is catch your breath, take some time, and figure out where you want to be, where you want to go. Okay? Uh, and that's, that's crucial. It's not just jumping out of an airplane. Put the parachute on first. Yes. Right? I, if anything, that's, and that has everything to do with business and whatever. I mean, your business is failing. You know, um, I, I, I work with some accountants. Your business is failing. It isn't good enough. That we're dying. We're dying. Where would you rather be? Let's look at the resources we have. Where can I move to from here? Good on you, Edmund. My pleasure as always. You look after yourself. We'll talk at the same time, the same place next time. You too, Ken. Take care. Thank you. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.